Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It's 9 o'clock a.m. Central Daylight Time. It is the 20th of May, 2022, and this is episode 593 of Bitcoin, and I'm hungry. I'm really hungry. This dude started started the bone broth fast. Yesterday, I think I ate a steak sandwich at around 11.30 and started... Uh, bone broth about, I don't know, three o'clock in the afternoon or something like that. And by the time I went to bed, I was starving, starving. So it's, it's not for the lighthearted. And then I woke up this morning. <laughs> oh my God. I was, although I will say this, I slept really well, but I woke up this morning. I'm sitting on the couch with the kids and the wife and my stomach's sitting there growling and I'm like going, oh my God. So, uh. Pray for me, brothers and sisters. This, uh, this is again not for the light heart, light hearted. Okay, you gotta, you gotta really want this one, and it's, uh, it's a bitch, man. It's a bitch. I will say that. Although I will also say this, a bone broth that I made is really freaking good. I should have invoiced that and sold it to somebody. How would I go about that? Selling my bone broth to, uh, to some other Bitcoiners? Oh, I know. Maybe I'll use pay me in B pay what what pay me in B dot T C pay me in B dot T C Jack Mallers a couple of days ago put out a tweet says another awesome product built on the strike API pay me in B dot T C a global invoicing platform with instant free irreversible payments using Bitcoin and the Lightning Network. Create and send hosted invoice payable by anyone in the world in less than 30 seconds. So if I go down to that thread, he mentions uh, two particular people, uh, Verbertia or Verbertia and Yorios9312. That is at V-E-R-B-I-R-I-C-H-A and at Yorios, Y-O-R-I-O-S, 9312 who apparently built this thing uh, together using the Strike API. So it's not a Strike product. Mallers didn't build this. What they built was the Strike API so that whoever the hell wanted to could build using Strike's backend. And somebody has done that. And in fact, it was really easy. I just went over to payme.b.tc and generated, uh, ginned up a uh, $1 invoice, basically for nothing, right? Just to test. And it's got a few, you know, it's, it's actually got a few, uh, uh, oh God, little, you know, little windows that you put information in, like who you're invoicing, um, you know, where it's coming from, clearly how much. And I put in $1 and all of a sudden it 
gave me the ability to share that invoice. So I shared it on Twitter. And about an hour within, I think it was within an hour, somebody actually paid that invoice. And I got notified on strike that somebody paid me a buck. So I was able to generate an invoice on this thing. It paid me a buck, went to my strike account. I'm really very happy about that. So if you guys want to, if you guys are looking for a quick, fast, and easy way to invoice, uh, you might want to go to payminb.tc. Also, that project is open source and you can get it on the GitHub. And I don't have the GitHub address right in front of me, but... Um, if you look for, uh, uh, go to P, uh, uh, payme.tc, you'll be able to find the open source so that you too can leverage that without going through the front end. If you want to you know, do some, something special with it, add it into your own website or whatever. So, but it works and it's easy and it's fast. I was able to generate the invoice inside of like 30 seconds or something like that and then blast it out on Twitter. So it was pretty pretty damn cool. Now, the um Terra Luna situation just is like I said yesterday, it's going to be a zombie. It's going to come back, it's going to haunt, it's going to just sit around like Mount Gox and Quadriga CX for years. I guarantee it. I guarantee it. This is not going to go away, and but the within all this, it, there's still massive amounts of humor to be generated because yikes, d- <clears throat> at Stable Games took USDC and USD via wire from customers, promising them fifteen percent, put it all into Anchor without telling them, and skimmed four percent off the top. They have now changed the denominations in their app from USD to UST and are nuking the landing page and the old terms of service. These guys are in deep trouble. They lost about $42 million in funds from 4,878 customers and probably have no way to pay it back because they are a small startup because they went all in on Anchor's invincibility. Conviction bets are great, but not when you're playing with other people's savings. Okay, so what happened, Anchor is definitely part of the US Terra or the Terra and Luna ecosystems and a whole bunch of other quote-unquote DeFi apps that are built on top of the Luna Terra ecosystem have like basically puked 48% of their value in total. And there's like, I don't know, 15, 20 of them or something like that. And between all of them, they've lost, you know, almost half of their value. And that's just because they're, you know, it's contagion y'all. And that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying here, by the way, this is at fat man, Tara's a couple of tweets that he put out yesterday. And the amount of lawsuits that are going to be ginned up, not just against Terra and Luna guys and the Terraform Labs and Duquan, but it's going to be every idiot that built something on top or something that was directly attached to the Terra Luna ecosystem. There, It is going to rain lawsuits for years, ladies and gentlemen, for freaking years. But these assholes decided what they were going to do is they were going to take people's money and without telling them those people, i.e. the clients slash customers, 
they didn't tell them that they were going to actually go in all in on Avalanche. And now they're all those people are, well, they've been nuked. Not Avalanche, I'm sorry, Anchor. And now they're all nuked. So this this is why I Bitcoin, because I don't have to worry about this shit. <clears throat> now, continuing on, court documents reveal Duquan dissolved Terraform Labs Korea days before the Luna crash. Tom Farron tells us more, Cointelegraph, the dramatic story of the Terra Luna crash referred to by some as the Lehman Brothers of crypto has taken yet another remarkable turn as legal documents reveal the liquidation of not one but two South Korean offices and the dissolution of the Terraform Labs Korea Corporation in the days preceding the dual currency collapse. Initially reported by South Korean news outlet Digital Today, the information obtained from the country's Supreme Court Registry Office highlight that Duquan successfully instigated the liquidation of two branches and an entire company. Both the Busan headquarters and Seoul offices were agreed to be dissolved during a general shareholders meeting on April the 30th, with their demise being auctioned on May the 4th and 5th, respectively. No, make that the 4th and the 6th, respectively. The timing of these decisions has raised suspicions within the crypto community due to their potential correlation to the events of the Terra Luna and UST stablecoin financial obliteration in the early hours, four days later on May the 10th. Terra are currently in the process of actioning a revival plan based upon the Second Amendment of the Governance Proposal 1623, and if approved, it will enact three revisions to the current system. Increase the Genesis liquidity from 15 to 30% to mitigate future inflationary pressures, implement a novel liquidity profile for pre-attack Luna holders, and decrease funds to post-attack UST holders. In the proposition paper, Quan wrote that, quote, UST peg failure is Terra's Dow hack moment, a chance to rise up anew from the ashes with a network launch slated for May the 27th. So in seven days, Terra shall rise from the ashes to do what? I don't know, to flop around and, and destroy somebody else's future. Who knows? Who knows? But the point here is that they dissolved two offices and the one of the one of the i guess subsidiary companies of terraform labs right before i mean we're talking guys we're talking about four days they made the sixth with was the last liquidation event and then may the 10th comes along and well you know what happened on may the 10th so we don't need to talk anymore about it but again this is this is why bitcoin this is also why bitcoin Energy giant Equinor to cut gas flaring with Bitcoin mining. Zach Vol writing for Coindesk. Publicly traded petroleum multinational Equinor is moving to significantly reduce natural gas flaring by mining cryptocurrency. According to screenshots from Equinor's internet received by Arcane Research on Friday, a new strategic partnership will see the firm implement Denver, Colorado-based Crusoe Energy Systems digital flare mitigation technology and it converts waste natural gas that would otherwise be released into the atmosphere into electricity at the white at the well site <clears throat> the operation will harness outflow at equinor's operations on the bakken oil field in north dakota quote historically 
Industry's options for reducing flaring have been limited to costly measures like new infrastructure development or shutting in production, reads the memo shared internally at Equinor. Crusoe's digital flare mitigation, quote, offers a win-win alternative for producers and investors alike, it continued. Quote, mining cryptocurrency requires lots of electricity to power computers while a valuable commodity is wasted and carbon emissions are created when we flare by connecting these inverse panes. We can satisfy both needs with no cost to market expense, said Lionel Ribeiro, manager of sustainability at Global Unconventionals at Equinor. In December of 2019, the originally bootstrapped Crusoe announced $70 million in funding for expansion of its innovative flaring solutions. The round was led by Bain Capital and joined by founders Fund, Winklevoss Capital, and Polychain Capital. Before partnering with Equinor, Crusoe already operated flaring systems in Colorado, Wyoming, and Montana. Equinor is a state-owned multinational based in Norway and ranked as the 11th largest oil and gas firm globally. So oil and gas has officially entered the game on, on a scale that I thought wouldn't happen until at least next year. And because of that, because you got like the Texas Pacific Land Corporation that I talked about uh, either yesterday or uh, the day or the show before, um, you've got <clears throat> you've got I don't know Exxon Mobil is entering the game. You've got these people over here at you know what is it uh, Equinor and like you know it's the eleventh largest oil and gas concern globally. Uh, that's nothing to sneeze at. When you have all the energy producers come in, that's not, they're not pretty much going to leave anytime soon. And the more money they make and the more situations they are able, the more pain points they're able to alleviate for themselves means that they would much rather take the pain of battling regulations in the courts than just simply saying, okay, you made it illegal. I guess we're just going to quit. No, that's, that's not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. But I want to focus in on this one part, this, this one thing right here. Quote, mining cryptocurrency requires a lot of electricity. While a valuable commodity is wasted and carbon emissions are created when we flare, and here's the key. By connecting these inverse panes, we can satisfy both needs with no cost to market expense. If you've listened to any of my other shows, at one point or another, you've probably heard me talk about permaculture. And one of the ways that we think about systems in permaculture is figure out a way to take the waste stream, because there always is. Any system has an input and an output. Generally speaking, those outputs are waste in some way, shape, form, fashion, or another. The ability to think of a way to connect one system's input to another system's waste stream output is a, an essential thought process because you solve so many problems by doing that. And these people are actually thinking in a permaculture way as far as design is concerned, but I'll bet you they've never actually heard the term permaculture, but yet they're doing it. 
this is a design fundamental when it comes to things like regenerative agriculture, permaculture, things of this nature, is being able to harness what would normally be considered waste and turn it into something either profitable or something that mitigates a problem that you already had. So when these guys under, when these guys really start looking at the numbers after they've been doing this a while, and a, you know, a few months roll by, maybe a few quarters roll by, and all of a sudden, I don't know, Chief Potato Head and Chief says, we're going to just ban Bitcoin. You can bet your ass that there's going to be a lot of money thrown behind a lot of high-paid lawyers that are going to walk into courtrooms and they're going to say, you ain't doing this. And if you are successful, it'll be 15 years from now because there is a, these people are going to have a vested interest in this system working. And guess what? Nobody's going to be doing proof of stake because proof of stake does not allow this kind of waste stream connection. It does not allow you to mitigate problems. The problems are unmitigatable inside a proof of stake. Why? Because the people with the most coins make the rules. That is exactly what we already have. And it's going to lead to the exact same problems that we already experience. The smart money is going to be on proof of work because proof of work doesn't have the problems that I just described insofar as it is not what we already have. It doesn't do the things that we that cause problems that we have to already experience. So there's that. And also proof of work allows for mitigation and connections of problems that become solutions. These people are not idiots. And this shit works. Just saying. So central bankers now, apparently they're chilling out in Central America. And Joseph Hall tells us an, a nifty little story from Cointelegraph. Central bankers bellow Bitcoin on El Salvador's Bitcoin beach. This should be, well, I was going to say it should be interesting. It's just anecdotal, but still, what the hell? It's Friday. We need, some, we need some, one of those feel-good stories. The orange-pilling adventure in El Salvador continues. In a video that beggars belief, 44 central bankers and financial delegates from emerging markets around the world shout Bitcoin while posing for a photo in El Zante, El Salvador. That's on right on Bitcoin Beach, which is where all this shit started. It seems that by day three of El Salvador's financial inclusion conference, the central bankers are warming to Satoshi Nakamoto's innovation, enjoying a trip to Bitcoin Beach. El Zante is the home of Bitcoin Beach and Bitcoin in El Salvador, an iconic destination for Bitcoin enthusiasts. And it birthed the whole movement which led to El Salvador proclaiming Bitcoin as legal tender back in 2021. Nicholas Berte, or Bertie, co-founder of Galoy Money, the company that created the Bitcoin Beach wallet, told Cointelegraph that the bankers visited El Zante to learn from the Bitcoin Beach team on Thursday, May the 19th. Birdie told Cointelegraph that the sentiment towards Bitcoin was super good and that nothing beats the experience of using lightning to discover the potential of Bitcoin. In a nod to Bitcoin adoption around the world, Bertie shared, quote, multiple central bankers said that I should meet their team in their country, end quote. Hmm. Central bankers from countries including Paraguay, Ghana, and Egypt descended onto the town to spend Satoshis and inter interact with locals, including some minor celebrities. 
The bankers met with Mama Rosa, one of the first vendors to accept Bitcoin in El Zante back in 2019 to buy pupusas, a Salvadoran flatbread snack. <clears throat> one Bitcoiner shared that they helped a central banker buy a coconut from an unbanked local in Bitcoin Beach, El Zante, using Bitcoin. <clears throat> The president, Nayib Bukele, also shared a series of photos of the bankers with their smartphones out showing El Chivo wallets, El Salvador's BTC payment infrastructure, and lightning invoices. It's important to note that the conference for the bankers would tackle financial inclusion and improving financing for small and medium-sized businesses. Mention of Bitcoin appeared in the event's official publication and pre-conference tweets. However... The Alliance for Financial Inclusion, an event partner, did not disclose Bitcoin in its event agenda. For the Central Bank of Paraguay, whose delegate was president or present, conversations about Bitcoin came as a surprise in the first world's for, in the world's first country to make BTC legal tender. The Paraguayan Central Bank released an official statement on May the 16th, declaring, quote, the meeting's focus has no relation to cryptocurrencies or similar. The Paraguay Central Bank does not intend to discuss cryptocurrency in said environment or meeting, end quote. Yet, in the candid shots shared on social media, from the El Chivo branding to the Bitcoin Beach t-shirts to the lightning watt demonstrations and even cries of Bitcoin, Bitcoin was clearly front and center. Okay, so... Yeah, it's anecdotal at best. I get it. But still, like I said, it's Friday and, you know, feel-good stories are not terrible. But <clears throat> this is has a little bit more, this one has a little bit more import. Plan B Summer School for Bitcoin Businesses opens this July. Bitcoin Magazine, Sean Amick. Plan B Summer School, a cohort-style course teaching students the challenges of business as it relates to regulatory and technological implications facing the Bitcoin ecosystem, is in session from July 3rd through the 16th per an announcement. The class will take place in Lugano, Switzerland. Students will learn about the Bitcoin protocol, Lightning Network as a layer two solution, stable coins, consensus mechanisms used by cryptocurrencies, and the fundamentals of the space. Experts will demonstrate the complexities of smart contracts and their operability within Bitcoin while going through the real-world use cases and applications. Students will also gain knowledge as it relates to anti-money laundering, compliance, on-chain analytics, and gain a deeper comprehension of cybersecurity, among other subject material. Teachers of the course will present students with real-world problems in need of a solution. At the end of the two-week course, students will participate at a group level to pitch an idea to a problem presented by the teachers. A jury of experts in the space will preside over the outcome from the pitch competition and prizes will be awarded to the top three teams. First place will receive $5,000, second place will earn $2,500, and third will bring home $1,500, totaling nine grand in prizes being up for grabs. The extensive lineup of speakers and lectures boasts many experts from the field. Adam Back, CEO of Blockstream, David Sulima, Assistant Professor of Finance at Franklin University of Switzerland. Zulfi Moladina, uh, hold on to your hats, people, because you're going to lose your shit right here. Training Specialist at Chainalysis. Yeah, get that bozo out. And Paolo Arduino, CTO of Tether and Bitfinex, are all signed on to deliver high-level discussions on their respective expertise. There will also be many other speakers in attendance and they can be found here. And it's here is actually just a, a link to a list of all the attendees. But, you know, a summer camp in 
well, in Switzerland. I mean, Lugano is probably someplace not to be missed. I've never been there, but probably not to be missed. Eh, you know what? We're early, but let's go ahead and do it. Let's run the numbers. CNBC, futures and commodities, the flippening continues. West Texas Intermediate is again a higher price than Brent North Sea, which is bizarre, but you know, shit, we live in weird times. After a 20 or after a quarter point rise in West Texas Intermediate, we are at $112.50, while Brent North Sea, after a what, a one third of a point rise, is 10 cents less at $112.40. Natural gas taking the taking it on the chin, 3.11% to the downside is hovering just above $8 per thousand cubic feet. Gasoline up a third of a point to $3.84. Shiny metal rocks mostly down except for copper, which is enjoying a quarter point turn to the upside. Gold is down half a point to $1,832.80. Silver's down almost a point to $21.70. Platinum is down two-thirds of a point. Palladium is down almost a full point. Agricultural futures are mostly down, with the biggest loser today being cotton, 2.77% to the downside, and wheat is also down almost two points. Soybeans are up two-thirds of a point. Dow up. 0.18%, 0.18%, S&P up 0.35, NASDAQ up 0.33, and the S&P mini is down scant. Real money, yeah, bouncing around uh, $30,240.08, with just under, or just over, <clears throat> sorry, just over 1 million BTC being sent in the last 24-hour period. That is 23,000, no, God, 20, uh, sorry. 43,000 BTC being sent in the last 24 hours. 3.77 BTC is the average transaction value and 0.019 BTC is the median transaction value. That's just under 600 bucks. Block times are still high, just just shy of 11 minutes. And with uh, 0.132 BTC taken in fees on a per block basis, that equates to somewhere around 17. 35 BTC taken overall in fees in the last 24 hours. And with, ooh, we're under 200. With a 7.6% dive in hash rate, we are now at 192.43 exahashes per second. So miners somewhere uh, are shutting down. They are turning off their miners. I expected, I fully expected this shit to happen weeks ago. And it's just now happening. So is price a lagging indicator of mining or is mining a lagging indicator of price? You tell me, because if you had had any sense about your ass, if you were just going on economics and you were just having to sell your, and you were just selling BTC to cover your costs, then you would have shut your shit down a long time ago. But it's just now happening. Just, it's just now happening. And by the way, if you're worried, don't. 192 exahashes per second, as far as security of the network is concerned, is still like 400x the amount of security network that we had when I got in in September of 2015. We were still in the petahash range in 2015. So this is 
way larger. So do not fret that shit. Dogecoin, your shitcoin indicator is 8.6 United States pennies. Transactions, we have 2,910 of them waiting on two blocks to clear. We have a $569.8 billion market cap, which is 4.69% of gold's entire market cap. And if you so choose, you may purchase 16.3 ounces of shiny metal rock with your one Bitcoin, of which there are 19 million. 44,685.93 of and 3,830.37 of those are locked in the Lightning Network valued at $114.6 million being run over 17,059 nodes sporting 83,354 payment channels and 72.7% of all of it's being run over tours associated 11,950 nodes that we know about and that's going to do it for Vitals. Welcome to part two of the news that you can use. Panama's President Moles' crypto law veto cites money laundering concerns. <laughs> yeah, the president of Panama worried about money laundering. Does anybody remember the Panama Papers? I might want to go look at that if you've never heard of that. Matt DeSalvo tells us more about this guy potentially putting the kibosh on crypto law from Decrypt. In the last month, Panama looked like it was set to be the next Latin American country welcoming Bitcoin with open arms when the country's legislature approved a bill regulating the use of cryptocurrencies in the country. The bill needed to be signed by the country's president before it came into force, and politicians and cryptocurrency enthusiasts were feeling optimistic. But the president of Central American Tax Haven might be having second thoughts. Today, in a Bloomberg interview, President Laurencio Cortizo said that he may veto the bill because he wants guarantees that it complies with global anti-money laundering standards. Yeah, he wants that IMF loan, dude. He wants the ability to get loans from World Economic Forum, IMF, World Bank, all that kind of bullshit. That's why you follow global anti-money laundering, okay? That's why you do it. You don't do it for any other reason. Just saying. Um, Quote, I I have to be very careful if the law has clauses related to anti-money laundering activities, he said in a live interview. The crypto law, as it's called, would allow Panamanians to buy everyday goods with digital assets. The bill mentioned that a Bitcoin, Shitcoin 1, and Shitcoin 2, Shitcoin 3, and Shitcoin 4 would be allowed for trade. Congressman Gabriel Silva, who helped draft the bill, said it would help the country become a hub of innovation and technology in Latin America and help the unbanked, which is over 50% of Panamanians. The draft bill also recognizes DAOs as legal entities and sets the framework for the country to issue tokenized securities and commodities like gold and silver via security token offerings. DAOs are big in the crypto world and aim to make organizations and projects decentralized and not hierarchical like most businesses. Most of them make use of a native cryptocurrency or token to govern their decision making. President Cortizo said today that he thought the law was good and innovative, but added that his lawyers were reviewing the bill and would make recommendations to him on what to do next. Unlike in El Salvador, a small Central American country where you can spend Bitcoin freely, the law wouldn't make cryptocurrency legal tender. Businesses wouldn't have to legally accept blockchain-based coins and tokens 
if they didn't want to. That, and I think that that's a good idea, honestly. Um, and I've said it on a few occasions. I'll say it here again. It's interesting to see what what El Salvador did. Legal tender, generally speaking, kind of forces people to take the money. Although there is a couple of articles in that in the particular Bitcoin law for El Salvador that is a loophole for people to get out. Hey, I don't have the equipment. Hey, I don't have the training to do it, so I'm not going to take it. And I have yet to see a single person dragged off to jail in El Salvador for not accepting Bitcoin. And there's several people in El Salvador that don't accept Bitcoin. They're not in jail. I really wouldn't worry about it. However, I think it's good to have a secondary experiment that approaches it from a different angle. And that different angle was what I was hopeful for with the Panamanian law because they weren't going to turn it into legal tender. They were just going to say, hey, bro, you want to use it? You go right the fuck ahead. Hey, D, knock yourself out. And I like that approach. So if Bukele had made... Bitcoin legal tender and did start hauling people off for jail for either not accepting it or not using it or whatever, I would have huge problems. But those loopholes in the in the uh, in the Bitcoin law give not only his administration a way out so that they don't look like assholes, but they also give everybody in El Salvador a complete legal way out just simply by saying, "I I don't know how to use it." Just saying, but. Yeah, we'll have to see what happens with this whole Panamanian thing. I, I think this is massive cover-your-ass territory for this particular president because he is not yet so fed up with the World Economic Forum, the World Bank, and the IMF that he's prepared to just do what Bukele did and just give the finger to him because that's exactly what Bukele did. He's never going to get a loan again. Because, like, it's gonna have to, he's going to have to be ousted as president or... When his term comes up, he's going to have to be, you know, well, unelected and somebody else elected in his stead. And that's what, I, that's what I'm worried about right now is that if the next guy in El Salvador has any connections at all to the World Economic Forum, the World Bank, the IMF, is a good friend of the UN and really likes to hobnob with people from the European Union then you can kiss the the Bitcoin law in El Salvador goodbye because it will immediately be repealed because they've put in a patsy instead of Bukele. Again, not a fan of Bukele, is a dictator. However, the, the, the patsies that the WEF will put in, those are people that you really don't want You because they're a dictator in a completely different method. It's much more sinister. It's much more hidden. They look like they're good people. They'll probably start eating freaking ice cream cones like Bill Gates, Warren Buffett, and that potato head and sheaf that we got. And that'll make them look like they like children. But they don't. They don't give a shit. They'd rather put them in a vat and turn them into meat to feed the masses. So, you know, just saying, just saying. New York Bitcoin miners start to give up on state amid regulatory uncertainty. Eliza Gritsky, or Gritsky, I guess is how you pronounce it, from Coindesk. New York's Bitcoin mining companies are increasingly considering abandoning their aspirations what was once a promised land as the state's legislature considers a bill to ban new mining projects that use carbon-based energy sources pending a review of the industry's environmental impact. 
the New York State Senate is looking at a bill calling for a two-year moratorium on two crypto mining product projects that use gas, coal, or other non-renewable energy sources after the assembly version of the bill passed the state's lower house last month. Quote, all cryptocurrency companies have a permanent hold on starting businesses in New York due to the political and regulatory ambiguity. If the bill were to pass, New York would become a permanent afterthought for the industry, said Kyle Schnepps, director of public policy at Foundry, one of the largest miners in the U.S., which is based in Rochester, New York. Foundry is owned by Coindesk's parent company, Digital Currency Group. Foundry's planned expansion in the state will be curtailed, along with hiring, Schnepps said. The bill, which passed to the state Senate in late April, calls for a moratorium on proof-of-work mining powered by non-renewable resources, the type used in, in the Bitcoin network, in the state while its environmental impact is assessed. Most crypto mining companies are staying away from the state because of authority's seemingly negative stance towards the industry, said Whit Gibbs, CEO of Compass Mining, a marketplace that matches miners with investors around the world. Didar Bekubov, co-founder of Kazakhstan-based miner Exive.io, wants to expand operations into the U.S., told Coindesk that he is learning, leaning towards Texas, of course, because of the favorable rev, rev, uh, regulation and the availability of cheap electricity. Regulatory uncertainty, including the bill, is one reason why mining firms are less likely to move to New York, one executive from a local mining hosting firm told Coindesk. Increases in energy prices in general are another reason. The executive attributed the uptick in electricity rates to global macro events such as the conflict in Ukraine, as well as the growing cost of complying with renewable energy mandates in New York. The executive asked not to be identified, citing fear of retribution from environmental advocates and local officials. The bill sends a clear message to the crypto industry that New York is closed for business, Schnepps said. It sets a dangerous precedent and is a case of government overreach in that it limits a new industry's right to energy, thus dooming that industry to failure, he said. While the bill targets only mining operations that use fossil fuels, those that use renewable energy are wondering if they might be next. John Olson, who leads New York policy at advocacy group the Blockchain Association, told Coindesk. The original language of the bill called for a moratorium on all types of mining, he said, quote, any kind of moratorium in statute is problematic because it can always be expanded or extended, he said. Miners that Valkyrie Investments has spoken to think that passing such regulations would likely cause them to reconsider New York going forward, said Stephen McClurg, the asset management firm's chief investment officer. But as the situation stands now, renewable energy-powered mines don't have much reason to move elsewhere, he said. CoinMint, which operates a Bitcoin mine with 435 megawatts of power capacity at a former aluminum smelter in Messina, New York, refused to comment on the bill specifically, but CEO David Fogel said its New York subsidiary operates in an environmentally responsible way by using renewable hydroelectric power. Investments in mining in New York predate the exodus of miners from China, and the state is now at the epicenter of a debate about how to regulate mining in the United States. The state is rich in hydroelectric power. 80% of the electricity produced by the New York Power Authority comes from hydro. Alex, I can't pronounce his last name, Associate Media Relations Specialist for NYPA, told 
Coindesk via email on Thursday, but NYPA generates only a quarter of the state's energy according to its website. New York also boasts some of the cheapest electricity prices for businesses in the northeastern United States. Environmental concerns have followed crypto miners, with one mine in particular, the target of environmentalist ire. That's the Green Ridge mine near Seneca Lake in upstate New York. It's a 1937 coal power plant that was converted into a natural gas facility in 2014 and now houses 19,400 Bitcoin mining rigs with plans to add another 29,800 machines by the end of the year. Environmentalists claim that the mine is polluting the lake and jeopardizes the state's carbon emission goals. They have asked authorities and the government to deny renewal of the plant's air pollution permits. The New York State Department of Environmental Conservation put off a decision on the issue until the end of June, just two days after the primaries are scheduled to be held to nominate candidates for governor, while the state Supreme Court denied a preliminary injunction that would have stopped the mine's operations before a decision is made. In December of last year, Massachusetts Senator Elizabeth Warren, a Democrat, asked the company to provide information about its carbon footprint, saying that mining operations at Green Ridge and other plants raise concerns about their impacts on the global environment, on local ecosystems, and on consumer electricity costs. Another letter to six miners around the United States followed a month later. All this means is that New York really is going to be a backwater. It's going to be like Arkansas very, very quickly. As we go, as we move into a completely new financial way or a, a, new, a new way of doing finances in general, the backbones of all that are going to be on Bitcoin. And New York has just cut themselves off from it in a short-sighted view to get voters by leveraging their hysterics. The voters' hysteria is guiding everything the politicians say. They don't have any new ideas. They're, they're basically, it's just this giant focus group on Twitter. And you just find out what, what Twitter's howling about. You agree with the, you know, the general consensus, which means that you're agreeing with the majority of bots that are programmed by a very few people who have their own agenda. So that agenda is poured through several mouthpieces and then is impacted on people that want to run for office and then they just parrot that shit back and all of a sudden everybody thinks that since they're agreeing with everybody that they should be the one that be in office and it's going to kill the state of New York. I'm sorry, but that's the way it is. But before that happens, you may be able to buy a watch there Swiss luxury watchmaker Tag Hauer now accepts Bitcoin as payment online. Sean Amick, Bitcoin Magazine. Tag Hauer, or Hewer, whatever, a Swiss luxury watchmaker is now accepting Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies as payment online through a partnership with BitPay, according to a press release. Tag allows customers up to $10,000 per transaction with no minimum spending requirements to use Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. Quote, we have been following cryptocurrency developments very closely ever since Bitcoin first started trading, said Frederick Arnall, CEO of TAG. As an avant-garde watchmaker with an innovative spirit, we knew TAG would adopt what promises to be a globally integrated technology in the near future despite the fluctuations, one that will deeply transform our industry and beyond, end quote. Holy shit, that's one hell of a statement, man. He actually understands what's going on. 
BitPay is a cryptocurrency payment gateway service that allows companies like Tag to integrate cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin as a means of payment. It removes the technical burdens for companies to enter the space with automated services. Quote, we are excited to see global brands such as Tag investing in the crypto space and seeking the support of BitPay to adapt their digital platforms to the rapid transformations of e-commerce, said Stephen Pear, co-founder and CEO of BitPay. We look forward to seeing the positive results of this new payment feature, both for TAG customers and the brand, and we will continue to support and help implement their vision as the technology and demand evolves. When prompted during the checkout process for TAG, customers will simply click BitPay and then be redirected to select their preferred currency and wallet, including exchanges, and the exchange rates are guaranteed for 15 minutes. Once the order has been completed, Customers will be returned to TAG's website for a confirmation from both BitPay and TAG once the transaction has been confirmed on chain. So now TAG is accepting Bitcoin and, well, shitcoins too. That's because Stephen Pear hasn't figured it out and has not gone Bitcoin only. One of these days he probably will. That statement, however, from TAG's CEO uh, is very interesting indeed. It is very interesting indeed because he's. It, it sounds like he actually understands what where this is going and he's not just parroting blockchain or decentralized ledger and all all the, the, the tag, you know, the taglines that I would have expected tag to say are not being said. He sounds more like people I follow on Twitter than people shitcoiners follow on Twitter. So there you go. Coinbase launches a new crypto think tank to help shape its policies. I think Coinbase is about to die. I'm not sure, but it seems like it, it it's going into a coma. And Jesse Coughlin tells this more from Cointelegraph. The Coinbase has created a crypto native think tank in an attempt to help shape the global conversation around policies for digital assets. The newly formed Coinbase Institute will also publish research will also publish research on crypto and web3. Coinbase tapped its director of policy Hermione Wong to head the institute. She previously served as the Division of Economic and Risk Analysis at the United States. Securities and Exchange Commission, and before that worked at the Department of State. The related Coinbase Institute Advisory Board has also been formed and will feature academics across law and finance from top universities such as Harvard, MIT, Duke, and Johns Hopkins, coupled with an academic partnership with the University of Michigan. The University of Michigan has conducted surveys for the U.S. Census Bureau and the Department of Defense and will partner with Coinbase on an annual U.S.-based survey that measures the adoption of cryptocurrencies and sentiment towards digital assets. Oh my God, it's a, it's a shitcoin census. Oh God, a shit census. The Institute published the first in a series of Coinbase primers, which are reports explaining key issues in crypto. It released a crypto and the climate report on Thursday to warrant the high energy usage of proof of work blockchains like Bitcoin. The first monthly insight report in crypto markets was also released, which compared market movements in crypto and traditional finance. Each report will focus on a particular theme. The formation of the Institute marks another instance of Coinbase aiming to influence the conversation around cryptocurrencies. In May of 2021, 
It launched a fact-checking portal with CEO Brian Armstrong saying the blog would be used to combat misinformation and mischaracterizations about Coinbase or crypto being shared in the world. Oh my God. <laughs> We're going to defend against people saying shit about us is what that means. The crypto exchange also created a political action committee in February of 2022 ahead of the November 8th midterm elections in the United States. <clears throat> Plus, Coinbase spent over $1.3 million in lobbying in 2021, the biggest spend by a blockchain company that year. Coinbase broke away from the crypto industry's largest lobbying group, the Blockchain Association, in August of 2020, believed to be in protest of the admittance of Binance.us. The company then formed the Crypto Council for Innovation in April 2021, along with Jack Dorsey's Square, which is now Block, and crypto investment firm Paradigm, aiming to engage governments, regulatory agencies, and policymakers on crypto regulation. The Institute hasn't singled out specific policies to advocate for, but its next move will be to publish more original in <clears throat> research that will provide the public, policymakers, regulators, and academics with a better understanding of crypto's diversity and interconnection to the overall economy. Coinbase seems to be having some issues. Um, this just, I don't know. I'm not going to get into it. Let's just, let's just move on. If you haven't under, if you don't understand what I'm saying about Coinbase, you might want to start looking into what's going on lately with Coinbase. I wonder how much exposure they had to Terra. I really do. Because a lot of the shakiness that I'm seeing come out of Coinbase uh, has happened as of late and during the Terra Luna crash. So I don't know. And I guarantee you, they're not going to say how much exposure they were actually akin to, or a, a part of as far as Terra Luna. But I have a sneaky suspicion that they lost their ass on that deal. Good, because Coinbase is a shit company and I hope they die. Avalanche plummets double digits as crypto meltdown continues. <laughs> the popular Ethereum competitor Avalanche has plummeted. Let's find out more. Sujith Samraj from Decrypt.co. Several tokens backing so-called Ethereum killers have posted double digit losses over the past 24 hours with Avalanche leading the action. Avalanche, the native token of the smart contracts platform led by former Cornell professor Emin Gunsrier, shed nearly 16% of its value in the past 24 hours and is currently trading at $27, well, let's say call it $28, uh, according to data from CoinMarketCap. Pausing here to talk a little bit about Emin Gunsrier, he is one of the major attack vectors on Bitcoin. It's so far as, well, I mean, come on, he's like from Cornell and he's been bad-mouthing Bitcoin for years and he didn't start doing it until he started shitcoining. And the second that he started shitcoining, he immediately started attacking Bitcoin. And the good people over at Cornell do not understand that what they have is a scammer on their payroll. Emin Sarir is a bad actor in the space. He always has been a bad actor in the space because he really didn't start talking about Bitcoin until a few months, in my, from what I gather, a few months before he launched, started launching shitcoins and then went all in with this launch on, on Avalanche. So do not trust Emin Gunseer. I'm, I'm just saying, man, he's always been a bad actor. Continuing, AVAX is the 13th largest cryptocurrency with a market cap of $7.6 billion dollars. 
Today's bearish action now puts the token 80% down from its all-time high of $146 recorded back in November 2021. The drop could be attributed to slowed growth on various DeFi projects built on Avalanche. Bullshit, that's not what did it. It was the fucking Luna Terra thing. The total value locked across all DeFi protocols on the Avalanche blockchain stands at $4.74 billion, which is down 8.5% over the past 24 hours, according to data from DeFi Llama. The total value locked hit an all-time high of $13.7 billion recorded on December 2nd, 2021. In purely AVAX terms, the drop has been nearly as significant with the data platform indicating a dip of 7.5%. Trader Joe, the largest decentralized exchange on the network, dropped 12.84% of its users over the past week, according to data from DAP Radar. The available liquidity on the exchange has also slipped, dropping from 577 million or dropping to 577 million from almost a billion dollars in less than a month's time, according to analytics. Despite the tremendous growth in the number of active wallets on the Avalanche network, the tokens ended up in bearish action. The total active wallets on the Avalanche network has reached 2.8 million yesterday, hitting an all-time high. According to data from Snowtrace, total transactions on the Avalanche network has also halved from roughly 800,000 last week to under 400,000 just yesterday. The transactions hit an all-time high of 1.1 million per day, recorded on January the 27th, 2022, according to data from Snowtrace. Besides Avalanche, several Layer 1 crypto projects have plummeted. Polkadot down 8%, Solana down 9.7%, Celo is down 10%, Near Protocol down 12%, Cardano is down 18%, while Phantom is down 9.6% over the same period. Uh, Bitcoin, meanwhile, is down a mere 3.3%. <laughs> Ethereum, however, is down 5.4%. All right, screw all that. The, the, the gist is, is that Emin Gunn-Sarir, as a Cornell computer science professor, a full bird tenured professor has thrown his reputation behind a shit coin and it's dying like all the rest of the shit coins eventually do. Just because somebody has a PhD and is at a prestigious institution like Cornell and it is, it does have prestige Cornell's been here forever. It's produced fabulous engineers, scientists, mathematicians. It's a good school. And they have one of the shittiest people working for them in one of their most important departments on that campus. Let that just kind of resonate in your head for a while. And before we end, I will just say a brief thing about this. Singaporean court block sale of a bored ape NFT. A Singaporean citizen has managed to successfully block the sale of one bored ape yacht club NFT through a court ordered injunction. By the way, this is out of Crypto Potato. Uh, Jordan Leshnev is writing it. According to the court filing seen and reported by Bloomberg, the plaintiff used the NFT as collateral for a loan on the NFT Phi platform, the collector decided to use the Board Ape Yacht Club collectible since its rarity and high value could guarantee him a larger loan 
Of note, the NFT in question is the BAYC NFT number 2162. It stands out from the rest of the 10,000 units collection since it is the only one wearing a beanie and has a jovial expression. It is also a virgin ape since it has not been infused with mutant serum. I don't even want to get into that, okay? Let's not do that. In mid-April, the claimant obtained a loan from someone with the username chefpierre.eth, a frequent but anonymous lender. The filing went on to say that following negotiation, the claimant got the loan, but its conditions included a short repayment period. When the claimant failed to repay the loan on its maturity date, the lender took ownership of the NFT. Now the plaintiff alleges unjust enrichment on the lender's part. The BAYC NFT is one of the claimant's most treasured possessions and is irreplaceable to him, the filing read, adding that he has no intentions to ever part with or sell it. Okay, well, then you shouldn't have put it up for collateral. I'm going to end that here because that's what really all needs to... There's two things about this story. One, when you take a loan and you put up collateral and you agree to the loan's terms, whether it's a single individual or a bank or some kind of corporation or something like that, then you have to adhere to the terms of the loan. When you don't make payment on that loan, then the collateral that you put up for that loan is then seized by the person that gave you the loan to make that person whole because that person was taking the risk by giving you a loan. If it was a prized possession and most treasured and most beloved, you don't put it up for, you don't put it up for collateral. The second thing here is that he was able to get a court injunction against the guy that gave him a loan so that he can't sell that NFT. A, how does that work? Okay, there's a whole me- there's a whole mess of bullshit inside there because unless the court is holding the keys to that particular NFT, then the court ain't got shit to say about what the guy that gave the loan is going to be able to do with that ape. There's just I mean it's it's a mess. But let's say let's say that that the court is in fact able to stop this sale. What does that say about the entire NFT marketplace and the Board Ape Yacht, Board Ape Yacht Club and all the bullshit JPEGs that I can get by simply right-clicking and copying? Yeah, I know. You don't have the address. Who gives a shit? Who cares? I, why, like, you can't sell it. Okay. I don't care. I don't give a shit. Is this... NFTs have been completely, it was a good idea when it was rare Pepe's. I don't know if you've ever heard of rare Pepe's, but we've already done all this. If you thought that Board Board Ape Yacht Club was new and that NFTs is a new thing, then you haven't been around the space as long as I have. And I'm not saying that to make you feel bad. You get in when you get in. There were people that actually knew when the guy bought the pizzas on Bitcoin Pizza Day, I wasn't around for that. I don't feel bad. But one thing that I am very aware of is that Rare Pepe's was the first instance of what is now known as an NFT. They're still around. But we got bored with them. 
And when you get bored with something like Beanie Babies, you kind of have a tendency to not give a shit about them. Because honestly, unless there's real utility there, then NFTs like Beanie Babies go away. And people call Bitcoin just nothing but digital Beanie Babies. But there's utility here. There really is. It's different. And if you don't see that, I can't help you. But that's going to have to do it for the morning roundup. Dad says jokes. What did our parents do to kill boredom before the internet? Well, I asked my 10 brothers and sisters, but they didn't know either. It's Friday. It's Friday. Go out. Go out and have a good one. Seriously, guys. Go out. Have fun. Look at the sun. We are in a bear market. Right? That, 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 it, the pressure was already on. And then the whole Terra Luna thing just went ahead and turned and, and turned the key, locking the door for the time being. Don't know what happens next. I really don't. Do we go down? Do we go back up? Yeah, we're going to do both, but I don't know when. That's the extent of my technical analysis. But while you're here, understand that, remember at the very, very head of the show, what I said about uh, those guys that were building uh, payme&b.tc on top of the strike API. Yeah, they're building during a downturn. This is what Bitcoiners do. Don't stop building. Whether or not you know how to program, I can't program myself out of wet paper bag. That's why I do this show. It's like, I figure I can bring value by doing a news show. What's going on in the space every single day? Well, most every single day. Some days I got to go do something else and can't get back in time for it to make any sense. But for the most part, every single day, I bring you the news. I can do that. That I can do. I can't program, but other people can and they don't want to record their voice. So they just sit there and they build in another way. This is the perfect time to build. It always is the perfect time to build. If you're new to the space, you've got to understand we've been through so many bear markets, it's not even funny, right? And every single time the same thing happens, we start noticing that since people are not distracted by the price, more and more stuff built on Bitcoin comes out. And it's amazing because it seems to ignite the next bull market. It's amazing. So watch the space. Just because price action is meh, meh, you know, don't get, don't get weird. Just watch what people are building and go, well, if, they're, if they haven't stopped building, then what else is going on? It's, well, that's because we understand what the future of this really is. We have a low time preference. We can wait. We are patient. We are observant. And we'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.